Yes, said the dealer. Our windfalls are of various kinds. Some customers are ignorant, and then I touch a dividend on my superior knowledge. Some are dishonest, and here he held up the candle so that the light fell strongly on his visitor. And in that case, he continued, I profit by my virtue. Markheim had but just entered from the daylight streets, and his eyes had not yet grown familiar with the mingled shine and darkness in the shop. At these pointed words, and before the near presence of the flame, he blinked painfully and looked aside. The dealer chuckled. You come to me on Christmas Day, he resumed, when you know that I am alone in my house, put up my shutters, and make a point of refusing business. Well, you will have to pay for that. You will have to pay for my loss of time when I should be balancing my books. You will have to pay, besides, for a kind of manner that I remark in you today very strongly. I am the essence of discretion and ask no awkward questions, but when a customer cannot look me in the eye, he has to pay for it. The dealer once more chuckled, and then, changing to his usual business voice, though still with a note of irony, you can give, as usual, a clear account of how you came into the possession of the object, he continued. Still your uncle's cabinet? A remarkable collector, sir. And the little pale, round-shouldered dealer stood almost on tiptoe, looking over the top of his gold spectacles and nodding his head with every mark of disbelief. Markheim returned his gaze with one of infinite pity, and a touch of horror. This time, said he, you are in error. I have not come to sell, but to buy. I have no curios to dispose of. My uncle's cabinet is bare to the wainscot. Even where it's still intact, I have done well on the stock exchange, and should more likely add to it than otherwise, and my errand today is simplicity itself. I seek a Christmas present for a lady, he continued, waxing more fluent as he struck into the speech he had prepared, and certainly I owe you every excuse for thus disturbing you upon so small a matter, but the thing was neglected yesterday. I must produce my little compliment at dinner, and, as you very well know, a rich marriage is not a thing to be neglected." There followed a pause, during which the dealer seemed to weigh this statement incredulously. The ticking of many clocks among the curious lumber of the shop, and the faint rushing of the cabs in a near thoroughfare, filled up the interval of silence. "'Well, sir,' said the dealer, "'be it so. You are an old customer, after all. And if, as you say, you have the chance of a good marriage, far be it from me to be an obstacle.' Here is a nice thing for a lady now, he went on. This hand-glass, fifteenth century warranted, comes from a good collection, too, but I reserve the name in the interests of my customer, who was just like yourself, my dear sir, the nephew and sole heir of a remarkable collector. The dealer, while he thus ran on in his dry and biting voice, had stooped to take the object from its place and as he had done so, a shock had passed through Markheim, a start both of hand and foot, a sudden leap of many tumultuous passions to the face.
It passed as swiftly as it came, and left no trace beyond a certain trembling of the hand that now received the glass. A glass, he said hoarsely, and then paused and repeated it more clearly. A glass for Christmas? Surely not. And why not, cried the dealer, why not a glass? Markheim was looking upon him with an indefinable expression. You ask me why not, he said. Why, look here, look at it, look at yourself. Do you like to see it? No, nor I, nor any man. The little man had jumped back when Markheim had so suddenly confronted him with the mirror, but now, perceiving there was nothing worse on hand, he chuckled. Your future lady, sir, must be pretty hard favoured, said he. I ask you, said Markheim, for a Christmas present, and you give me this, this damned reminder of years and sins and follies, this hand-conscience...